Well, thank you for joining me today for another episode of Politics and Pints. And I am so excited today to be joined um, by just a legend, um, you know, a tour de force in American politics, one of my heroes, one of my mentors, um, the great former senator from Alaska, Mike Gravel. Mike, how you doing today? Thank you very much. And since I'm on the right side of the grass, I'm doing very well. <laughs> Oh, I know, man. And, and you know, you just turned 90 years old, Mike, and I want to wish you a happy birthday. I know that was uh, last month. Thank in you. May. Thank you. But uh, I'm happy to have the good wishes. Yeah. Let's, so, let's see how long it lasts. <laughs> absolutely. So how, how are you these days? How are you feeling? And what's your take on everything that's going on, man? Well, so far, uh, my own physical situation is pretty stabilized. And so at 90 years old, uh, I, I walk around a little bit to exercise. Uh, and uh, other than that, my wife takes great care of me. With respect to events uh, beyond my personal life, uh, we couldn't have a worse situation than we have today. And that is, of course, the stupidity of Trump as our national leader, uh, bringing us to utter disgrace and revile throughout the world. And he doesn't seem to learn. He, he just is he's a goddamn idiot. <laughs> you don't mince words. And, you know, I was just talking to my buddy today who served in Afghanistan in the army. He did a year over in Afghanistan. And to see the uh, General Milley come out publicly and say that photo op that, that Trump and company did there across the street at the church, tear gassing everybody and walking across the street. I mean, that, that's unprecedented to see that. Well, it is, and what's unprecedented from my point of view is the fact that he apologized for being there uh, in his fatigues, uh, and uh, and now he's he's really made the case, which is going to be very difficult for Trump to use the military in any kind of a negative way. In fact, just the opposite. If uh, Trump loses the election and he refuses to step down, the military will officially, uh, or somebody will officially escort him out of the White House. So uh, I think it's significant that uh, the chief of staff has made this distinction. Uh, I don't think we're going to see this mistake being made again, since it's been so conspicuous at this point. Uh, and I think it has a a very beneficial twist to it in that it, it will certainly uh, negate any possibility of uh, Trump using the military in a nefarious kind of way. Yeah, I mean, th those are uncharted waters. I mean, what would that look like? That would, so if Biden were to win and Trump <clears throat> were to contest it and not agree to a leave, would, how does that work? I mean, who would order the military in to remove the commander in chief? Well, first off, the, the Congress is the most important uh, element of our government. The second is the executive and third judiciary. And so what would happen is the Congress would uh, pass a resolution uh, ordering the military to dislodge him from the White House. It, that's straightforward and that's simple. It's not all that complicated. Uh, the results are self-evident in the election. Uh, and so that won't be an issue. Uh, now Trump will try to make it an issue, uh, and he's laying the, sta the stage by saying that, you know, voting by, uh, by ballot, <clears throat> absentee ballot is fraudulent, 
excuse me, it's ridiculous. In fact, it's just the opposite. Voting by ballot is, is probably the fairest and the most thorough and honest way of casting your ballot. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, Jesse Ventura, who served in the Navy, makes the point, and you served in the Army. You understand uh, maybe you voted by uh, mail when you served in the Army. He, he voted when he was overseas. He cast his ballot and mailed it in. So to disparage mailing your vote in is to say that all our military who voted over the years is null and void. Not only that, half the military in the Civil War voted by absentee ballot. <laughs> so there's no excuse. To, to continue this rhetoric, and it is rhetoric. Uh, I, I think most people know that the charges he makes without substantiation uh, are, are just typically uh, Donald Trump. Right, so I mean, do you, do you think he'll, he'll be a one-term president? I mean, do you really think that Biden can, can beat him? Oh yeah, well, we pray he loses, but I hope he loses, and I hope he loses big, because we have to make the distinction uh, with what the Republican Party has bought into with Trump. Do you think, I think this time around, people are going to pay more attention to who Biden picks as his running mate because it's kind of clear that he's not going to really be in the driver's seat if he's president. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's very significant, and I think people are aware just as you are. <clears throat> now, uh, I would have thought that he would have picked uh, Klobuchar because that would make more sense politically. But uh, she has, uh, because of her, her, her reputation as a prosecutor, particularly uh, not prosecuting uh, derelict police officers, has just excluded her possibility. So she's no longer there. Uh, the other is, of course, uh, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, she had a little sm smudge on her background too, uh, similarly uh, in prosecutorial activity, but I, I don't think it's as significant as Klobuchar's. But so that's that. And here again, uh, for political reasons, uh, he's got California. He doesn't have to do anything to court California. But so who does that leave? Uh, you know. Uh, I just don't have a view at this point in time. There's no question he's going to pick a woman, and I think he—I he, he, think he's pretty well uh, committed to picking a black woman uh, because of the black uh, vote is so significant to his his candidacy. And now, with what hap what's happened uh, with uh, the uh, the, the the uh, darn George, uh, what? Yeah, Floyd, George Floyd killing. Floyd George. Yeah. No, was it George Floyd? Yep, George, George Floyd. Yeah. George Floyd. As a result of that getting so much attention, not only in the United States and worldwide, uh, it really boxes him in to select a, a, a black uh, woman. Uh, who that would be at this point in time. I think Stacey Abrams is very good. I don't think she's got the experience uh, at the federal level to, uh, to, to make the grade. Uh, I, I don't know of any other uh, person uh, in, in the arena at this point in time. 
Uh, I haven't been watching uh, that closely all the candidates, so I don't think I can enlarge right. on uh, any views I would have in that regard. Yeah, there's a lot of wishful thinking. Uh, what about your views? Either yes, way. I was going to mention uh, my good friend Tulsi Gabbard, who you co-endorsed oh, for 2020. Oh, that would be that'd be made in heaven, uh, and she would be extremely qualified. The problem is, is that she would be anathema to the military-industrial complex, and that's and that's a constituency that uh, that has uh, Biden pretty well locked up. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I don't see it happening, but I think if, if Biden really wanted to be bold and, and really pull away a lot of Trump voters, if he put Tulsi on the that, ticket, that would that be would smart. That would wipe it out because she, she would really uh, be a, a, a fantastic choice. And of color, woman, and uh, Asian uh, in many respects. So Veteran. It, it hits all the bases. And, right. and experienced in Congress. You know, yeah. Six, six years foreign relations, six years uh, uh, military, uh, military affairs committee. Yep. Who knows? It would be it would be a stretch for Biden, but boy, it sure would uh, <laughs> turn a lot of heads. It would ruffle a lot of feathers. Um, so, I, I, you know, I remember vividly the 2008 election. That's where you and I first met each other. And I had the pleasure of driving you all around New Hampshire and driving you to that one of the last big debates that the Democrats had the guts to let you into. And uh, that was at Dartmouth on Han in Hanover, New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, you were up there with Biden and you, pick, you picked on all of them, man. You ripped them all to shreds. And that was really missing from 2020. Obviously, they tried to tried to get you up to this time around. So, you know, your, your, your interactions with Biden were, were great there. What, what are your memories of Joe Biden from the United States Senate from the 70s? Well, I like him as a person. He's very, very pleasant. He's just a nice guy. Problem is, is his ideology is not well grounded. Uh, he, whenever he's made judgments, whether it's on foreign relations, when we invaded Iraq, he, would, he was right in the middle of it. Uh, whether it's trashing Anita Hill and giving us Clarence Thomas on the court. Uh, he, was, he, he was the leadership in that regard. That's why we got Clarence Thomas and why we have a lopsided Supreme Court. Uh, and so, but, but absent that, uh, as an individual, he, he's just very charming and a very sort of ordinary guy. Uh, so you can't help but like him. Now, liking a person and making uh, the case against them ideologically is, is, is a big leap. And right now, uh, there's no question in my mind that he should become the president of the United States because the, the, the choice between he and Trump is, is unbelievable, miles apart. Uh, Trump, uh, Trump is destroying our government, and uh, and Biden uh, probably would not revive it to the to, to what I would like, but then what I would like may not be necessarily what the American people would like, and so I would hope that he would get the well, he's got the nomination. Uh, I would hope that he would make a a very interesting choice with respect to a vice president and then going from there so let's see let's 
Maybe, maybe he'll go to Tulsi Gabbard. She, she's really the only one that fits the description of who we would need right now, a woman of color uh, and experience, both in the military and in Congress. Boy, it'd be tough to beat that. It really would be. And when, you know, I, I helped her with her campaign here in New Hampshire for a year, we saw people from all political stripes showing up to our events. You know, we had military people, we had former MAGA people, conservatives, moderates, progressives, libertarians. So, it, I mean, it just, it would make perfect sense. But like you said, she's gone pretty hard against the military industrial complex. And I mean... Well, and Joe needs that. Joe needs yeah. to balance his situation. That, and of course, that would trap the military industrial complex because once he made that selection, uh, she's in there and uh and he's there and they're going to pray on both knees that he stays for a long life <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly well you know in in if, Tol if it was tulsi building the cabinet i have no doubt she would put great people around her you know we saw thought leaders like stephen kinzer from brown university um, we did a great forum with here in new hampshire forum here in, with him in new hampshire about iran and foreign policy so it's those kind of people who have always questioned the wisdom of policing the world and having 800 bases on planet earth and being, you know, the, the empire that's in every corner of, of, of the world. So, you know, if she's not part of the administration this time, she's only 39 and she's going to be around for a while. And I think the future yes, is really she bright. Is. She is. Uh, but here, this could be Joe's choice. I mean, if, if he chooses something out of the box, that it'll be more power to him. The, there'll be greater deference to him, uh, and they'll try to bridle Tulsi. But uh, it, uh, I, it would be, it's made in heaven. I can't, uh, I can't tell you how much I would hope that that would happen, but uh, who knows? Anything, yeah. anything is possible in politics. Well, it's true, especially in these last five years, man, with the rise of Trump and what we've seen happen, it, it's kind of it's thrown everything out the window. Yeah. Every, everything we thought possible. Would Tulsi eat up Pence? Oh my God, Pence! <laughs> that would that would be a guy. I'd love to see that debate. Yeah, Pence is. What do you think about Pence, man? He scares me. He's got that quiet kind of far right. He is very scary, and he, he it's religion. You know, yeah. Trump, Trump is not. Trump uses religion, but he doesn't have a religious bone in his body. Right. Uh, and so what happens is that uh, Pence. Pence would be much more dangerous. I never got turned into uh, getting the um, uh, getting the Trump uh, uh, thrown out by impeachment. I never thought that was a, a viable approach, uh, and I thought it was very weak, and it didn't advance anything at all. Uh, and and all we would have had if he succeeded would have had Pence, which would be he'd have a greater likelihood of getting elected than, than is going to be uh, than Trump. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the brilliance of Trump picking Pence. I mean, he wanted to pick Chris Christie, but he went with Pence knowing he needed to pander to that far-right evangelical fire and brimstone community and, and give, give them the red meat. Yep, and, and he did. And Pence has lived up to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the judges they've gotten, um, the, what's it called, the Johnson Amendment with uh, re religion and it's it's crazy. It's it's uh, it's like George W. Bush's evangelicalism on steroids. Very much so. Very much so. 
Yeah. So I know uh, you saw Bernie Sanders during the cycle. You guys met up when he was out in California. And what do you think happens to all of Bernie Bernie's support now? Well, I think it's going to go to Trump. Not what I'm talking about. Not Trump going to Biden. Uh, they don't have much of a choice. And plus, Biden seems to be uh, angling to move to the left uh, on issues. And, uh, and I think you may well see him come out for single-payer health care. Hmm. Uh, that would be for openers. Uh, because clearly, the, uh, the virus has, has demonstrated that uh, Obama health care system is not viable not in this kind of a situation. And so we need to have everybody covered by a health program. Uh, and that would be better, it'd be much better to handle any viruses or pandemics in the future. That's one possible opening uh, that, uh, that Biden could take. Uh, the other is, of course, uh, the selection of vice president. And we just covered that at length. I, I, I can't think of anybody, you know, there's a couple of uh, women governors, but, but not of color. Uh, and he's got to do something about the color. Uh, the, the black vote was so significant uh, for him in the primary. Uh, he, owes, he, owes his, uh, he owes his political life to the black community. And so uh, I don't know of any, uh, you know, all he's got to do is get the color band right. And he can do that with Tulsi. And, uh, and so we'll take it from there. But I, it, it's difficult to go beyond that. Now, uh, uh, there are many other issues that he can move over uh, to, the, to the left. And every time he does that, he really uh, shows that he's going to be pliable uh, once he's president of the United States. And I think he would be. Uh, once he makes a commitment in a certain area, uh, it'll, it'll be kept uh, as far as he's concerned. Yeah, well, let's hope so, because if he wants to grab any of that constituency from progressives like Bernie and Tulsi's camp and Andrew Yang people um, and people who supported you and Marion Williamson, he's, he's going to have to make some big, some big inroads and some big concessions. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. If, uh, if, if Marianne Williamson had uh, color and more experience uh, government-wise, she would be a great choice. She's so articulate. Uh, but but I, I just don't think it's possible at this point. Yeah, we, we met Marianne here in New Hampshire and had her on our show, and she, she's great. I really like Marianne Williamson. I think she's very, she's very intelligent and, you know, very well-spoken. Oh, tremendous. A tremendous person. A uh, tremendous person, great intellect, and uh, and uh, her her heart is on her sleeve. Yeah, it definitely is. So, um, looking at foreign policy, and this this was a big thing we talked about, like a new Cold War we have going on uh, with Russia and China. Um, obviously, Putin is not going to really be going anywhere anytime soon. He's going to be in there for a long time. Um, you know, what kind of posture does the next administration need to take in dealing with Putin in Russia? Well, I hope that they, they, they become open-ended. Uh, Putin, uh, at this point in Russian history, is just an ideal leader. He's very bright. Uh, he's very circumspect. He's not going to go uh, start any wars or anything like that. Uh, and and he, he really gets a bad rap in American society, and it's undeserved. 
that he's authoritarian, what else is new? You know? <laughs> yeah. Because Saudi Arabia, if we want to use a standard, it's not nearly as author, uh, authoritarian as Saudi Arabia. So, uh, and they're, they're right close to us uh, in their friendship. So that's not a, that's not a negative. It should not be a negative. Uh, the other is China. Uh, I think that we have to accommodate ourselves to China and to Russia uh, after the election. Uh, we should develop strong friendships. We should cut out all this war talk. And, and of course, I hope that Biden will not continue the nuclear expansion uh, in the United States. There's no need for it. There, uh, the, you know, these weapons are not usable. Even if you have them, you can't use them because if you did, you'd destroy the planet. So what's the point of spending all this treasure on these weapons of mass destructions? The Chinese, you know, we, we keep talking about China. Uh, well, it's, it, here, let's do an analysis. Uh, Trump wants to have a, a, a meeting uh, on nuclear matters with Russia and include China. Well, Russia and the United States each have over 6,000 nuclear devices. China doesn't even have 300. So they don't want to get into a, a discussion about uh, nuclear. They're, they're already, they already have a great position on nuclear. They don't want to build a lot of them. It's, it's a useless effort. And China and, uh, and of course Russia does want to cut down the, the number of weapons, but uh, the United States under Trump is, is so bellicose in that regard. Now, will Biden do a better job? He'll have an up, unbelievable opportunity to, to make changes in this regard. And I hope that he would. Yeah, we have to stop the saber rattling and, and the move towards all out war and nuclear war. I mean, it just, you know, it, Gorbachev, you know, he's, I think he's about 90 years old. He's still writing and he's still out there. And he wrote a great piece in Time Magazine that I shared on my social media. And I just pointed people to read it. I said, look at the clarity of what Gorbachev here is saying. We need to move away from militarism of our society and trillions on these stupid weapons and missiles and posturing and put it right into the people invest in infrastructure invest in feeding the people housing all that stuff and the way things are going here in america i mean think things are it's keg powder right now with all of that terrible and and our infrastructure is just crumbling around us uh and and we're not we're, we're we've just opened the door for the expansion of china which, are, which they were going to do anywhere, anyway. But it, what they're they're able to accelerate it because of our stupidity, uh, you know, and, and our 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 sense that we want to try to forestall the advancement of China is ridiculous. We should join with them and partners in trying to raise the level of standard of living throughout the world, as the Chinese are doing with their belt and. The, the Silk Road developed in uh, their, their whole economic program. Right. Building infrastructure around the world. We should join them, not fight them. Yeah, we could learn from each other and, and work together. Um, now, in 2008, and I know for a lot of your career, you've always been ahead of the ball on drugs and legalizing drugs and looking at the Portuguese model. 
you know, a big piece of the ra systemic racism in our country is related to the war on drugs. And, you know, that was part of Nixon's Southern strategy, essentially repackaging and renaming Jim Crow the war on drugs. So do you think what we're seeing right now, the tides are going to turn and we're going to look towards decriminalization? Oh, I hope so. And I hope that that will take place under Biden. First off, it's, it's taking place as we speak at the state level. Uh, they're more progressive in this regard. But uh, we need a, a national uh, law in that regard uh, because these, some of these state uh, approaches are not all that efficient and, uh, and, and proper. But a, a national legislation in that regard would make all the difference in the world. But, uh, but you know, here again, Trump, neither Obama nor Trump realized that by decriminalizing uh, marijuana and drugs, you, you, you're able to attack the, the inner city ghetto uh, and deal with that problem as a, as, a, uh, as a health problem and then shore it up with economic expansion in those communities that need it so desperately. Yeah, and that's one of the faults that I, I have against Obama is that he never really, really did anything for the average American uh, black person. Uh, but they love him as, because he, his great accomplishment in history is the fact that he got a black man elected to the presidency of the United States. And, and that is a sad commentary on what could have been possible with his leadership had he had any, any guts and fortitude. Yeah, absolutely. He could have taken a lot of that goodwill and if he really wanted to help inner cities and the people who were struggling the most and those who were incarcerated, majority of them are in there for nonviolent crimes, drug, drug offenses. Oh, no question. Look at, I, 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 before I leave you, I do want to pitch my book. Yeah, uh, wanted to ask you about your new book in the Gravel Institute. Out there, one uh, that we're going to have back on our website. And, and if you want to buy these books, my recommendation is to go to our website, mikegravel.com. Uh, and the book uh, for Citizen Power will be up there shortly. And you'll be able to buy that from uh, by just pushing on a button. Uh, and whether you buy the, the soft copy or buy the ebook, both are going to be available. Then, of course, there's the new, newest book, which is the, uh, the Failure of Representative Government uh, yep. and the Solution. Uh, there's just been a report uh, come out uh, by a national organization that for two years have, have made recommendations to change what we're doing in the representative government. And, and it's very good. Their suggestions are excellent. Uh, the only fault I would have with it is that they don't have a specific plan to get this enacted into law. Again, they're, 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 they operate within the context of representative government. And since representative government would be diluted where a lot of these changes take place, uh, there's going to be, you're not going to see it enacted into law. And that's why the solution that I proffer in the failure of representative government, the solution is to create a, a people, a legislature of the people. In fact, at the back cover of the book, it says a manual 
to, to create and operate a legislature of the people. And it's all laid out in the book. It, uh, the, and, and anybody who's, who's really addressed it, and there's, no, there's nobody to my knowledge that's laid a glove on it, on the solutions that I offer. And I hope that by getting it out there and people examining it, that it will generate some controversy and discussion. And that's what I would, the idea would be to discuss this because this is a serious undertaking and it should be discussed by the people. Uh, but by the same token, it needs to be made aware of if there's going to be a discussion. And that's what I hope that you and others will use your good offices to bring it to people's attention. And it's a modest book. Uh, it's not a hundred it's got about 120 pages. You can read it in one setting uh, and it's very specific. Uh, and so I would just ask people to go to microvel.com and press one of the buttons and, and, and take it home. Well, absolutely. Well, Senator, thanks for taking the time with me. It was, it's great to reconnect with you. It's been a while since we've seen each other. And, um, you know, I just want to thank you for everything you've done. I mean, you've been a great mentor to me that the, the time that we had together in New Hampshire, man, being able to drive you around and hear your stories and be regaled of, you know, the seventies in the U S Senate. I mean, I, I could just only imagine what it was like to be there, but, um, you know, history is going to look really kindly on you, Senator. They're going to, it's going to, what the things you did, the things you said, the, the, the courage, the guts you have. So I just, I want to thank you for everything. Okay. Well, there's, there's another uh, video coming out. Uh, it's, uh, it's done by Sky Whalen, and they just sent me the first report of it. Uh, the title of it is, I see if, uh, see if you can see it. Oh, American Gadfly. Yes, and uh, it should be out in a couple of weeks. And of course, what it is, it's got these, the kids, these high school kids, who are running my presidential campaign, and uh, and they're on my shoulder making things happen. Yeah, that that, that was amazing to see, Mike. That these these young kids who had no idea who you were before come out. They discovered me, and 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 of course, and of course, their names are uh, Henry Williams, uh, Elijah Emery, uh, Henry McGowan, and David Oak. Right, the Gravel teens. That's right. And here again. <laughs> That's awesome. You're almost like James Bond there. Oh, they, they got me so cool. <laughs> I was so cool <laughs> by putting dark glasses on. So I, the, the movie, they're going to try to peddle it with uh, various networks, but uh, it's, it's a full-length uh, movie. Uh, and so was, I haven't seen it yet, but I can't, but, but, this this artwork is pretty good. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, if there's a movie that's going to come out, I'll promote it, and maybe uh, we can. Gadfly. Well, that's awesome. That's exciting. I'm psyched to hear about that. I'll definitely watch it, and maybe we could do a screening out here in New Hampshire. <laughs> me, me too. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I don't know if we've done the hour, but oh. I get pretty tired with the interview. Hey, no problem, I, Senator. It was. It all creeps up on me every day. I hear you. Well, well, thanks for giving me the time and uh, we'll keep in touch and I'll send this interview to you when it's up. And uh, you just, you keep, you keep fighting there, Mike. All right. You will. Thank you. Okay. Take care, Senator. All right, folks. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Politics and Pints. 
subscribe to this channel. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash Jackman Radio, all social media. Thank you for tuning in and cheers to you. <laughs>